Well, good morning, everyone, again. I'm just glad to be back. If all of you didn't know, I was away for a couple of weeks on vacation and uh, at my favorite place, and that's Hawaii. And, and I really enjoyed my time at the beach. It was very relaxing. I had a chance to hang out with some good friends that were out in Hawaii, so that was also good. But my favorite thing is always to have a lot of good island eats, and that's malasadas and a lot of shave ice. So I appreciate all of you coming, even though it's been a little wet outside, but, you know, a little rain doesn't stop us from gathering to worship the one and only living God. So before I give this morning's message, let me pray for us to prepare for our our hearts and our minds for today. Heavenly Father, thank you for gathering us this morning to worship as we hear your word for us today. Will you open our eyes, our ears, our mind, and especially our hearts to what you want us to know and do so that we will be transformed people for your purposes. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, I just told all of you my favorite place, and that's Hawaii. Well, there's another place that holds many memories for me, and that's the kitchen. And more importantly, the kitchen table. It's that place where I had many meals and conversations, some happy, some sad, some moments playful, others more serious. Sometimes they took place in the mornings, other times at dinner time. Regardless of the circumstances, the kitchen table is for me a center for relationships, for community, a place of belonging and of security. In my house, we had a preference for round tables. Maybe that was the case in your homes. I'm not sure you know this, but you can seat more people in a smaller area than a square or rectangular shaped table in the same space. Also, on a round table, everyone can see each other, and there's a sense of equality. No place is the obvious head of a circular table. Plus, most importantly for me, because I like to eat, on a round table, everyone has equal access to the food in the center, especially if there's a lazy Susan in the middle, right? Now, I mentioned that round tables foster equality, but here's a critical question to ponder and to think about. Who gets to sit at the table? Now, how many of you growing up sat at the kids' table? Yeah. You know what I mean. The kids are relegated to eat on the living room coffee table or TV trays while the grown-ups sat at the kitchen table. And when the time came that you got invited to sit at the big person's table, you felt so honored because you were finally recognized by your elders. In today's conversations, who gets to figuratively sit at the table can be full of tension and bias. First got to be allowed into the same room as the table, let alone sit at the table. Belonging is more than having a foot in the room. It is having a seat at the table, regardless of color, gender, age, sexual orientation, education, or social status. It's about unity among diversity, to play nice in the same sandbox. And I'm not talking about tokenism either. 
that sitting at the table means engaging in a relational conversation that shows that one matters and belongs. To be treated the same as others, that's equity. That's justice. That's the true meaning of loving others like yourself. This morning, I'm talking about genuine belonging and who gets to sit at the so-called table, especially in the kingdom of God, which should be different from the world, where God's family, all are welcome and invited and treated as the full image of God. Today happens to be the last message of our series called Come and See, where we see God's love for people through stories in the Bible. And through these stories, remind us, his church, how we are loved and likewise to love others in the name of Jesus. This morning, I invite us to come and see God's love for all those that have ever felt it, felt rejected, marginalized, less than ordinary, forgotten by someone or society as a whole. I imagine all of us have felt excluded at some time in our lives. If you can, you can turn with me as we look at a beautiful story of restoration of an unlikely person in the world's eyes that should give hope to all of us who have that same deep-seated need to belong, to be accepted and cared for. So if you have your Bibles, if you can turn to 2 Samuel 9, verse 1 to 13, and I will read today's word for us. David asked, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David, and the king said to him, are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. The king asked, is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, He is at the house of Machir, son of Amiel in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Machir, son of Amiel. When Mepiveseth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mepiveseth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, "What, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring, him, uh, bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, Your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a a young son named Micah, and all the members of Ziba's household were 
servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. And that is the word of the Lord. From this story, I see three ways David expressed kindness that models God's love for us. And the first way is that love extends to a friend of a friend for the sake of a friend. Kindness is an expression of love. Kindness is selfless, compassionate, and merciful. And in this story of David, David showed amazing kindness to his friend Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth. Verse 7 says, Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. If you remember, David, back in the day, stepped up as a young shepherd boy, and he volunteered to fight Goliath when no other warrior had the courage to do so. David gained great favor when he defeated Goliath and brought victory over the Philistines to King Saul. But Saul... He grew jealous of David's popularity among the people. And his insecurity made him hunt down David, hoping to kill him. King Saul's son happens to be Jonathan. And Jonathan is David's best friend. Can you imagine the conflicting emotions Jonathan had? His father wanted David dead, but also Jonathan knew that David should be king because God had chosen David to be the next king. I mean, people could say to Jonathan, Jonathan, you are the prince. You are the son of the king. Shouldn't you be the next king? But not Jonathan, who as a good friend to David, did not covet covet the throne for himself. David loved Jonathan. And because of this deep friendship, when Jonathan was killed in battle, David did not forget their friendship and showed kindness to Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth. Now, Mephibosheth is at least one relationship removed from Jonathan uh, for David. Mephibosheth was not David's friend. Kind of like how LinkedIn ranks your network of connections. First degree, second degree, third degree. Well, scripture clearly states here, David showed kindness to Mephibosheth for the sake of his father, Jonathan. It's what Rick earlier called intergenerational care and love. David was not concerned with his reputation as king and was willing to have a relationship with an enemy, with an enemy's grandson, and showed compassion to him. Now, can you imagine that? Can you show that kind of love to someone like that in your life? To be kind to a friend of a friend? Or as Jesus instructed, to even love your enemy? So why do this? Honestly speaking, there are plenty of times where I can miss, even ignore opportunities to be kind to others. But sometimes... I do get it right. I'm not Jesus for sure, but for me to be accountable to do as Jesus commanded, I have to constantly read Jesus' instructions in the Bible and to listen to the gentle voice of God when he prompts me. 
As true believers of Jesus Christ, we are to be obedient to Jesus. And in John 15, Jesus told his disciples, You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a friend does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. In this passage here, we are told that Jesus no longer calls us his servants, but also his friends. And we are his friends if we do as he commands. He appointed us here to bear fruit that lasts. For me, fruit that lasts are people having an everlasting relationship with Jesus. To connect people with a God that loves them, we must love people in the same way that God loves us. So my question for all of us this morning, so will you be obedient to Jesus' command? Do you really see Jesus as your friend? To love others for the sake of Jesus. And what does this look like? Well, in this story from David's example, he expressed a love that is extravagantly generous. And we see this in verses 9 to 10. In verse 9, it's written, then the king summoned Ziba, Saul steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. In verse 10, you and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. And the writer makes this comment. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. That's a lot of people. Obviously, Mephibosheth will be well taken care of by, the king, by king David. But the restoration of assets supported more than Mephibosheth. That's obvious. All of Mephibosheth's family and servants benefited too. I mean, verse 10 says, Now Ziba had 15 sons and held 20 servants. That's a lot of mouths that's going to be fed. David was very generous in his restoration. It went way beyond what was necessary to help Mephibosheth. Something I want to emphasize for us to take note, acts of kindness feel more generous when they are unexpected and a surprise. Now, one of the things I enjoy doing is going camping. And I like to go out into the nature, spend time in God's creation, and just chill, and just disconnect from the internet. And a week of camping is just one of the best things for one's body and one's soul. But it's always kind of cool. After a week, it's kind of nice to go back home and enjoy the comforts of home, like a warm shower. And often on these trips, when we come back, my wife Terry and I love to stop by some of our favorite restaurants to get something to eat because we're often kind of tired and don't want to go home and cook another meal. So we go to these, these uh, places that we like to eat. And one particular trip we went to, uh, a restaurant that serves some of the best uh, sashimi and sushi on the East Bay. 
And so I'm terrible. I know a lot of you can kind of judge me, but I have this bad habit of posting pictures of what I eat at restaurants. So on this particular trip I did, I posted on social media this beautiful uh, sashimi fish that was served whole and then later they deep fry it. So you get to eat a whole fish in a variety of ways. And, and when it came time to pay for the bill, the waitress said, oh, your friend paid for it. And then I said, my friend paid for this? And so I, you know, I quickly scanned the room in the restaurant, and I didn't recognize anyone. I didn't see anybody that I would call my friend. And so I pulled the waitress aside, and I said, um, I don't see my friend. And, and at that moment, my mind is thinking, am I getting punked by a candy camera? Is somebody playing a trick here? And, and uh, the waitress had to sheepishly uh, confess that my friend saw my post on social media and called the restaurant and told them that he would pay for the bill. That was a total surprise and so unexpected. But that is what extravagant generosity is. David's generosity to Mephibosheth was a surprise and unexpected. But it's characteristic of God's grace through our Lord Jesus. And here's the truth. God, like King David, returns to us more than what we lost or could ever ask for. If you have ever received God's unconditional love, can you respond gratefully with extravagant generosity to others in the name of Jesus? Can your normal mindset of scarcity be transformed to a perspective of abundance? With the help With the help of the Holy Spirit, I trust God can do that for you. My last example of God's love from this morning's passage is when David showed love that restores and gives a new identity. And we see this in verse 7, 9, 11, and 13. Four times we are told that Mephibosheth will eat at the king's table. In particular, verse 7 reads, I I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. And take note, in verse 11, this additional statement is made by David. Eat like one of the king's sons. That's unbelievable. It's like winning the lottery. Not only can he eat, Mephibosheth gets to be a son of the king. I mean, that's shocking. Imagine people at that time hearing that. Mephibosheth was a grandson of an enemy who wanted David king, uh, David killed. And also a cripple on top of that. Because Mephibosheth was dropped as a baby and became lame in both legs. From a person with no hope to being restored with the full rights and status of a king's son. Even Mephibosheth was surprised by David's generous kindness. He personally called himself a dead dog in verse 8. In his mind, David could kill him and no one would blink an eye. That was the norm of those times, to kill off your enemy's bloodline. And being handicapped made Mephibosheth even more inferior and worthless in that culture. David did not heal him of his lameness, 
but gave him a new identity as a son of the king. And that is the way God is to us. He does not necessarily take away our weaknesses or lameness, but gives us favor and standing that overcomes the shame or sting and transforms how we think about ourselves by giving us a new identity as children of God. It's being upgraded from economy to first class, from sinners to full heirs in the kingdom of God. Imagine Mephibosheth hearing this, that he is now being called a son of the king. I mean, growing up, he was lame and crippled. When the other boys were playing sports, he was probably never picked because he couldn't run. He couldn't walk. Imagine his own complex that he was inferior. Have you ever felt inferior? Undeserving or inadequate? Not good enough? Unseen or invisible? An outcast or a social leper? Well, that is not from God, but Satan telling you lies. You are what God has called you. He calls you his sons and his daughters. When we are born into this world, we are all technically orphans until someone decides to take us home to belong to that family. In the same way, spiritually, we should not be spiritual orphans. And God is inviting us to not be alone anymore and to join his spiritual family, his church, to come and sit at his table. But sadly, the church can marginalize people too. Uh, Years ago, uh, my friend's daughter was graduating. And I was brainstorming what kind of graduation gift I could give her. And I remember she was often eyeing one of my sweaters. It was a very fine orange cashmere cardigan. And it was one of my favorites because it's really hard to find that color. She had asked me one time, Uncle Calvin, if you get tired of it, can I have it? Now, at that moment when she asked, I kind of thought, no way. (laughs) But... Later, I had a change of heart, and as her graduation present, I decided to give her my precious sweater. Now, I can be partial to my stuff, and I have a hard time giving away my nicer things, but this person, like many other people in our church, was special to me, having seen her grow up at CLC and saw how much she loved Jesus. Unfortunately, she felt alienated by the church when she came out as gay. I wrote in the, in the gift note that whenever she wore that sweater, to be reminded that I will always be there for her, to support her as her pastor and her friend. John 25, verse 40, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Jesus calls us to love the least of these, And by doing so humbly, do justice and do it for the sake of Jesus, who promises he would always be there for us too. Just as Jesus 
sat at Levi's dinner table with so-called sinners, we should try to do the same, to let the least of these know God loves them too. Can we love those that the community has rejected? Being a member of God's family comes through his son Jesus who makes that possible through his sacrificial act on the cross. Being a part of the family of God is more than just coming to church and hearing good teaching or singing popular praise songs. It's more than eating our food at holy chows or church picnics. It can't be merely dropping off your children to Sunday school classes or youth group or showing up at home group weekly. It's being sons and daughters of the Most High God. It's having authentic relationships with each other, living life together as brothers and sisters in Christ. It is knowing, serving, celebrating, loving each other as one big family. And that's the beautiful picture of eating at the king's table. And that is my hope for CLC, that we will be that kind of church family to one another, one that is intergenerational, encouraging one another to pursue Jesus. So he, not us, can transform people, not judging, but loving. There is no perfect church, but we have a perfect God who is with us, who changes us to love the unlovable. Right? It's easy to love those who are like ourselves. It's very difficult to love those who are very different. Recently, we had a gathering of our home group leaders and some of their families, which was so inspiring and encouraging to me. Members with both long histories with each other were mixed with others with new beginnings together. We all sat together at the same table. That Sunday morning, or excuse me, that Saturday morning, as we gathered together as one, as one church family in the members' backyard, it was such an encouraging sign of unity and commitment. Last month, we had an outdoor worship service followed by a great barbecue picnic that was so well attended. The energy level was crazy, and you could tell that everyone could feel it if they came and saw. Today, after today's service, we will have an opportunity to eat together when we have our first holy chow since the pandemic started. You know, we're not going to let a little rain dampen our day. Maybe some of us will be dancing in the rain as we chow down together as a church family. Jesus invites us all to come, to sit at the table and belong. How will you respond to this invitation to come to the table? Are you thankful for God's unconditional love that he considers you his sons and daughters? And in grateful response, can you show kindness to a friend of a friend for the sake of Jesus? That is how the community can grow and the gospel shared. The Pivoseth was loved by David, and that story is a beautiful metaphor for me of how much God loves us to, the same way. To eat at the king's table always means an eternity in heaven with our heavenly father. Accept Jesus' invitation to come and see. 
to sit at his table and eat. And like the psalmist said, taste and see that the Lord is good. Then God can restore you as friends of Jesus with extravagant generosity and a new identity as his children. And that is good news. News that must be passed on. Amen. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so very much for letting us call you Father, for your generous love that you would send your one and only Son to die on the cross for us so that we can be restored back into your family as your sons and daughters. Bless each person here that they may experience that kind of love for themselves that restores and transforms and through the Holy Spirit to go out and to do likewise for the sake of Jesus, to pass the good news of Jesus on from one person to another, from one generation to the next. With grateful and contrite hearts, we pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.